1: Alright guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today are two avid outdoorsmen. Now these guys hunt anything and everything out west, but their passion is definitely western upland bird hunting. And I'm really excited to talk to them because that's something I've never done. I've done a little bit of upland bird hunting, but never done it in western states. And I know there are really, really cool opportunities out there. There are people that dive into this head first, get the dog, start training them travel all over the country looking for different upland bird species to hunt and these guys are really into chucker hunting which I know pheasant is I mean it's huge quail but there's not a ton of people that I talk to even in passing that are big into chucker hunting so I'm really curious about it I want to find out more and I'm really excited about this so let's jump into this episode with Jordan and Reed
0: I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Jordan and Reed Talati. These guys are from Nevada, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of hunting that happens there in Nevada, and they are really big into upland bird hunting. So I'm excited to pick their brain, especially now that I've got a dog specifically for hunting. So... Reed, Jordan, thank you guys for hopping on with me.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, before we jump in to the show, would you guys mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourselves, maybe where you're from, your hunting history, and kind of what you do now in the outdoor space?
3: Yeah, so I'll go first. Um, my name is Reed Talati, and uh, I've lived in Nevada my whole life. I'm from Reno. Um Started out hunting a young kid, uh, 10 or 12, and uh, started out bird hunting. Since then, evolved into uh, big game hunting and, and birds as well, with the emphasis on the birds. And um, my brother and I uh, started a YouTube channel a couple of years ago to document our uh, outdoor adventures, not only hunting, but also fishing. And so we're just having a blast right now uh, filming and, and enjoying the outdoors
1: nice.
2: Jordan.
3: Yeah.
1: So,
2: so, uh, yeah, I'm Jordan and if, uh, you can't tell Reed and I are brothers, uh, I'm the younger one. So the, uh, the story for me is pretty much the same, you know, started hunting from a young age had to be, um, I was too young to go hunting when Reed got to go hunting. So that was always difficult for me growing up, but, um, you know, we've been hunting together ever since. And, uh, like Reed said, yeah, just, uh, doing the YouTube channel and enjoy. uh, enjoy chucker hunting a whole bunch. I got a new dog this year and uh, really looking forward to getting her out on some birds.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I knew absolutely nothing about chucker hunting until last year when I went dove hunting and this, this guy that I knew from church and I hadn't seen him in years. I run into him out in the field on public land and I start talking and then we talk about the podcast and he goes, you know who you need to get on the podcast, that guy right over there. And he points over And there's this guy who's got a dog that is like way more well behaved than any dogs that we bring out in the field. And he's like, that guy is one of the best chucker hunters in the country. And I was like, really? I was like, I don't even know about chucker hunting. And so I go over and talk to him. And I wish I knew his name because you guys are into chucker hunting. And apparently this guy is like the dude to know in the chucker community. But yeah, we were in Missouri and Apparently, this guy knows his stuff, and he he literally just went out there to send his dog after birds for other people that couldn't find them. Because we hunted like this, this real tall grass edge, and then it was like burned sunflowers, and then on the other side was woods, and a lot of people would lose their birds. And so this guy just came out with his dog to give it a little extra training. Um, but anyways, I'm excited to find out what chucker chucker hunting's like because apparently it's like a big subset of the hunting community that I don't, I never knew about. And I love to learn about new types of hunting.
3: Yeah. As far as chucker hunting goes, Nevada is kind of the, the hub of it. Um, thrive in kind of dry mountainous, rocky areas and Nevada has got a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, chucker hunting and it, anybody that does it knows that it's something that's very physically demanding. Um, but can also be very rewarding as well.
1: Yeah. What, uh, walk me through maybe the process of chucker hunting. Um, cause again, it's something that I've never done. I would love to go at some point, but is it similar to most upland species where you're walking and you've got a, either a pointer or a flusher that's flushing the birds out in front of you?
2: Yep. Pretty standard. Um, kind of depends on the time of year, how you, how you hunt or where you locate them. Um, Obviously, like earlier in the year, it's still hot and they tend to uh, be close to the water sources. And then as the snow falls and you get uh, later into the year, they'll be more spread out. But yeah, pretty standard. Um, you know, get your pointing dog out there and, and get them close and let the dogs do the rest.
1: What is it? What are like the bag limits for chucker? I mean, because I know some upland bird species, it's really low bag limits. Like certain types of grouse, you can get one or two a day or maybe even the whole season. Um, what's bag limits for chucker and do you guys find yourself filling bag limits quite a bit or is it very rare
3: uh yeah so the bag limit is is pretty generous um in nevada it's six a day um and and 18 in possession so um you know you can go out for a few days and get a few limits if (laughs) you know if you're getting limits and so your second question like do we find ourselves filling bag limits often we definitely get you know a limit a few times a year um but it's definitely not a regular occurrence um i don't know anybody who's out there getting a limited chucker every time they go out uh just because it it they are unpredictable it is um you know physically demanding like i said and uh because the bag limit is you know it's quite a few birds it's it's hard to get that many every time you go out for
1: sure yeah when when you guys started out hunting was it chucker that you guys kind of um first started with.
2: So the first hunt I ever went on was a, a sage grouse hunt. Um, but th- they do have a, a, low limit in Nevada, even back then it's, it's been reduced further since, um, so that's kind of was my introduction. I think, um, my dad took us out on that because it's a little less demanding than the chucker hunting. Um, but since we had our limit that first weekend, I, I did get to go. Chucker was open at the same time back then. And, um, so yeah, that was a lot shorter hunts at the beginning because, um, as a 10 year old kid trying to walk around and, and follow someone chugger hunting you don't last real long.
1: Yeah. What, so what is it about chucker specifically that makes it such a demanding hunt? Is it the terrain that they're in?
2: It's yeah, the steeper, the better, the rockier, the better. Um, you know, it's not just tough on, on the hunter either. It's tough on the dogs uh, you know, the rocks and, uh, the heat. And so it's just, um, it's pretty tough all around.
1: Okay. What, what time of year is that season open? I mean, you mentioned the heat when I think of hunting most of the time I'm hunting in the fall, you know, with the exception exception of spring turkeys. And so I think like temperatures dropping, is it like a midsummer type of deal or, uh, what are the conditions out there?
3: It's still in the fall. Um, the season runs from the middle of October to the end of, or the yeah, the end of January, basically. Um, so early in the season, like it's going to open here in a couple of weeks and you know, we still got 70, 80 degree temperatures here in, in Reno. And so it's going to be a hot opener. So the dogs are going to be hot. The birds are going to be near the water and, you know, just walking around in general is going to be hot, but walking up the, the steep cliff faces that you got to to get these birds is going to be even more and then later in the season when it gets cold and the snow starts falling you know then you're out you know in these biting winds and the cold and so you go from one extreme to the next and um even though it's you know blowing snow you're still sweating because you know you're walking up a you know 20 percent hill trying to find these birds in the rocks so it's it's definitely something that uh you got to be prepared for physically
1: yeah, that sounds, I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds like quite an adventure and like it puts you in some pretty cool country. Um, I I feel like I did the listeners a disservice. We're gonna back up a second. Would you guys mind just explaining chucker to someone? For somebody who doesn't know, like myself, up until last September, I had never really heard about chucker hunting. So the bird itself, would you mind describing that?
3: Sure. It's a chucker is a, a partridge um it's probably a little bigger than a, a hungarian partridge and maybe a little bit smaller than like a a rough grouse or a blue grouse um they're kind of a dullish gray color on their back and um they've got some really sort of flashy kind of black and uh lighter yellow uh feathers around the breast um their one kind of most identifying feature is probably the the black stripe that they have across their eyes um, and then they're really red feet. So um they're native to the Middle East uh and that area, and they were brought over at least to Nevada in like the 50s, 40s or 50s, I think. And um they planted them in like the fields, thinking that you know that would be sort of a kind of a hunting club type of uh shoot, and they didn't do very well. And they found that all these birds had made their way to the mountains and were really thriving. So um yeah any you know most western states have them now with the exception of a few there's chucker in hawaii um there's a lot of different areas you can hunt those now so um they've really thrived after being brought over here and and seem to have uh you know adapted well to
1: the climate and the terrain dang that's really sweet i mean it did they introduce them like all over the place or are they just so prolific that they spread i mean obviously hawaii you know they're probably not going to go from nevada to hawaii but uh the other mountaining states or mountainous states did they plant chucker in a lot of the different states
3: i believe they did uh plant them in most of the states and um kind of the similar history to nevada where you know they didn't really understand that the the mountains were where they were going to end up and once they did they just really took off and so um you know, the, the desert climate with the, the rocks and the, the cliffs in those areas, you know, Idaho, Southern Oregon, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, all those places really blew up with with Chucker once they figured out what they liked.
1: That's awesome. And I, I can't believe I ju- I'm just now putting this together. I was just in Reno. So you guys are there. I was there. I shouldn't say just maybe two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Um, we stayed one night at an RV park there and that's the only experience I had with Reno aside from driving in and all the smoke that you guys have right now. Oh my gosh. We came around like one bend and it was just a wall of smoke and I'm like, oh sweet. Yeah. Something is seriously on fire. And so while I was driving, I had my wife pull up the map and she's like, yeah, there's fires like right here. And I'm like, well, hopefully, hopefully down in the city, it's a little better. It was not a whole lot better.
2: Yeah, believe it or not, this is actually one of our better years. Last year was much worse from fires, so it was kind of a bit of a reprieve this year. It's
1: we've had a rough few years. See, being from the Midwest, I forget. I mean, I lived, I lived on the front range of Colorado. There was one year; it was a couple months, and we couldn't even see the mountains at all. I mean, we weren't that far from them, but the the smoke was so thick. And then, as soon as I got back to Missouri, I totally forgot about wildfires, and. <laughs> Once we made it out to the mountains, I'm like, holy crap, I do not miss this. I mean, we all, my whole family had like respiratory issues after the first month of the smoke. Um, But enough about wildfires. Anyways, going through Reno, uh, it seems like it'd be a fun place to hunt. Um, I've got questions about the dogs. So uh, I know before we started recording, Jordan, I found out that you just got a dog. And Reed, you've got some that are retired now. What kind of dogs are you using for upland hunting.
2: So the dog that I just got is a, uh, Brittany spaniel. So it's my, it's my first Brittany. Uh, I used to have a German short hair and, um, I loved her. She was great. Um, she was, uh, she was the runt and real small. And I always liked that about her. So when it came time to get a new dog, I wanted to make sure that I got that smaller dog again. Um, so I went with the Brittany and, uh, she's. She's incredibly smart, incredibly easy to train, and um, she's got a great nose, and I'm super looking forward to uh, to getting her out here, actually, day after tomorrow, be her first time. So.
1: That's sweet. Reed, what, what dogs do you have? Um, so I have two Weimaraners, um,
3: and like you mentioned, they're retired now, so I'm kind of in between dogs. Um one's been retired for a few years now and the other one, this is, this will be his first year not hunting. So, um, we're kind of relying heavily on Jordan's new dog, but, um, really like the Weimaraner, just the look of them. We had a Weimaraner. That was kind of our first bird dog when we were kids. Um, we hunted without a dog for a while when we first got into chucker hunting and, uh, anybody who's ever chucker hunted without a dog knows that that's, not the best way to do it you go hungry yeah (laughs) for yeah if if you have to survive on uh chucker to live you better do it with a dog um but so we had a, a wine runner when we were kids and so i really liked those dogs and how they performed and so um the dog we had when we were kids had puppies and so that's uh how i came to have my dogs um and so they're like i said reaching kind of the end of their time now so um probably at the end of this season i'll make the move to get a new dog i'm not 100% 100% committed to what kind I'm going to get yet. I may may stay with the Weimaraners, but we'll have to see how uh, Jordan's dog does in her first season. Maybe I'll convert to the Brittany.
1: I mean, that's three different breeds. So most upland dogs are probably going to be decent or could be decent for, for chucker hunting, especially.
3: Yeah, I think it's a lot of how you train it. I mean, I've seen a lot of people with a lot of dogs. I've seen, you know, German short hairs that are great. And I've seen German short hairs that are terrible and that you know, it's, I'm sure that there are some breeds that are better just in instinct and, and breeding for, for chucker and for upland in general. But I think as long as you spend the time and, and train it, right, you can, you can get any dog to be a good upland uh, hunter, whether it's a pointer or a flusher.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you guys train your own dogs, correct?
2: That's right. Yeah. So my, my, uh, first dog I got, I was a lot younger. And so, um, I, I had a guy that, um, it was actually a friend of mine's dad who, who had trained a number of dogs. And so he kind of helped me train my first one, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Luckily she had great instincts and um, she gave me a lot of good years, uh, with this Brittany Spaniel though, I've been, um, I've been working really hard with her, the breeder that I got her from, um, I got her up in Idaho but he knows somebody in Reno that uh, does field trials. And so he set me up with him and he's got tons of dogs that have, you know, their whole master certification, all that. He like lives and breathes training dogs. And so um, I've been going out with him. He set me up with uh, this book. It's I don't know if you've heard of the Rick and Ronnie Smith method of uh, dog training. I haven't but, um, definitely recommend it for anybody out there that is, uh, that has a new dog and want, wants to learn how to train a pointer, just super practical information in there. And, um, just, I mean, it's the book is the complete package. Like it just takes you from how to pick out a puppy to, uh, you know, hunting first day with it. So it's like super complete. And, uh, I've just really seen my dog respond well to, to
1: that method. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, with having a new pup myself, I mean, I've done a little bit of training on my own. Uh, I, I was told that you can do some training, but really at like the four to six month mark is when they start really showing potential and and getting into training. Uh, is that what you guys have seen, or do you guys start training like right out of the gate? What what is that point where the dog starts to to pick it up really well?
2: So yeah, that, that's where I kind of differ from that, that Rick and Ronnie method where they kind of want the dog to be a little bit older, but my philosophy is like, just do as much as you can with the dog for whatever age they are. So like, um, my dog, Annie, um, I had Annie at home for like two days and I was teaching her already to, whoa, I say hold, but, um, even if it's only just for like two seconds at a time. And so, you know, it's just like, as much as she can do the training session lasts two minutes maybe um, because she's a puppy and she doesn't know what she's doing and she's not coordinated, but, you know, as the days and weeks progress, it gets more and more. And so by the time she was six months old, I had built up this huge bank of training already. And um, now today she will stop on command. I mean, perfectly. She could be a hundred yards away from me and she just knows hold means stop. And I credit that to, to getting started so early. So that's kind of my philosophy,
1: man. I want to see, I have, I think out of all types of hunting, upland is probably the one I have the least experience with. i I used to be the bird dog for my uncle, and that did not go well at all. Um, we, my cousin and I would go through a cornfield in front of my uncle zigzagging, and he had a waterfowl dog that we'd let run around with us. and I can't tell you how many pheasants we saw run down the corn rows, and you know, they never flew up. We I don't think we had ever shot we ever shot a pheasant when when we were doing that um but that's about the extent of upland bird hunting um experience that i have and so i feel like watching dogs work in that different avenue or different setting would be pretty sweet especially in the mountains like when you think of upland bird a lot of people think of the dakotas or big grassy plains or uh, short stubble uh, crop fields but the mountains would be a whole different level
3: there's definitely some, some pretty breathtaking views out, out chucker hunting. And, um, you know, if you ask any chucker hunter or pretty much any upland bird hunter, like what's the best part of, of upland bird hunting, I guarantee you, they're going to say the dogs. Um, you know, it's fun to go out and and flush a bird and shoot it, but watching the dogs work, seeing a really great point, you know, and then you get the bird and the, the really great retrieve that comes with it. Like, that's what keeps you coming back. It's not, you know, shooting birds is definitely fun and that's why we do it. But um, the dogs are definitely the, the piece that, that gets you obsessed with it.
1: Yeah, I, I hear that from almost everybody who works with dogs and I get it. I've seen dogs work in different aspects of hunting and it, it seems to take over the passion, right? Like for me, I can't use dogs for whitetail deer hunting. Uh, I can for other types of hunting, like squirrel and rabbit. Um, but I've been on a a mountain lion hunt, um, and just watching the dogs work and do what they absolutely love. And you can just see it. You can see their passion for it. That alone is addicting. My problem is I love dogs so much that if it were up to me, I'm, I'm glad I have a wife that kind of keeps me grounded. Otherwise I would have a dog for every type of hunting. I'd have like 15 different dogs and I'd just be running them all the time.
3: Yeah. I've definitely seen people like that where it's, you know, they're got somebody who has this hunting dog. It didn't work out. Okay. Let me take it off your hands and we see if I can train it. And so, um, yeah, we just were on a fishing trip with some people recently who have, you know, I think six or seven dogs, they said, and you know, they're big hunters and and they do like trials and stuff like Jordan said. So, you know, they definitely into it in that way, but, um, yeah, it, it is something that could get out of hand if you're not careful.
1: Yeah. Have it, have you guys ever thought about doing the trials with your dogs or have you? Um I know that in and of itself can become uh pretty addicting and uh lots of travel and money going go into that.
2: Yeah, I I entertained it briefly when I first started training with this guy, but um I think in the end it's not really for me just because the the thing that I just particularly don't um, enjoy about it is, is we're not out deep in the hills. Like that's, that's a lot of it for me is like going out on this adventure, um, you know, deep into the mountains to, to go um, hunt with your dog. And it's just, it's a little bit um, too set up for me. And that's not to say that, um, you know, anything against anybody that does it, just, that was kind of what made me not make the final leap to, to doing the trials.
1: Yeah. I, I could see that being the case. It, I feel like it would be Similar to like going and fishing up in Canada at this remote lake, and then your buddy's like, "Hey, dude, let's stop doing that, and we'll just fish the city pond right down the street." You know, right. <laughs> I feel like that'd be the best comparison for it. Um, I'm curious. Exactly. What, what do you chucker taste like? I mean, is there is there a certain way that you guys like to cook them up, uh, and like maybe some recipes in case I get out there soon and do it. Yeah. I mean,
3: uh, the old adage rings true with chucker. Chucker tastes like just like chicken, you know? Um, and, and it kind of does, it's a white meat. It's definitely very lean. Um, chucker are, you know, ground birds are going to be on the ground running most of the time, They're, they don't fly unless they absolutely have to. So, um, you know, lean meat for sure. Uh, you know, when we cook them, we kind of do it a variety of different ways. We, um, do some tacos a lot like that's a really easy way to do it um sometimes i'll do like a you know a pasta dish like a chucker parmesan or something like that it's i'm not a chef i'm i'm okay at following a recipe so basically any recipe that you like with chicken replace chicken with chucker and and you'll be all right
2: i have found that if you're making chucker for someone else um usually breading it is the safe way to go so you know bread some little um like popcorn chucker or something like that so um people not used to it do tend to find it a little bit lean for their taste
1: okay I'll, i i love trying new wild game recipes that's like if i had a thing it would probably be that um and so i'm i'm really curious i like trying different birds too because you know everybody says everything tastes like chicken but they all have their own just little individual flavors like for sure herb. Turkey, I mean, pheasant, I, I guess turkey's not really in the same category, I don't feel like, but, you know, pheasant and grouse and quail and dove and uh, birds are just good. It's hard to, it's hard to find a bad bird. Maybe there's some that taste bad, but I haven't found one yet.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Hard to find a, a bad tasting bird. And, you know, part of that though, is the, is the way you prepare it and, you know, how you, how you cook it and how good you are at that part. Um, you can definitely ruin a good bird for sure. But if you're, you know, can follow a recipe, you'll be all right.
1: Yeah. Now you guys do more than just upland bird hunting, but I know that before this show we were talking and you'd mentioned a lot of it's because you don't necessarily draw a big game tag every year that some of these other hunts are more appealing to you. Right. So So yeah, um, actually we had a pretty lucky year
2: last year with tags, but I drew a tag that I'd been waiting over 20 years to draw. Um, so I'd been put in since I was in like sixth grade. Um, so I I drew a desert bighorn tag. Um, and my, my wife drew an elk tag last year too, and she'd been waiting close to 10 years for that. So that's the kind of scale you're on, at least for the exotics and, but even deer, deer, you know, we're lucky to draw. Um, every few years, I've even started going to archery in an attempt to get more tags and, um, it's still pretty tough to draw.
1: All across the country, rifle season is upon us or quickly approaching, whether I'm hunting hogs and whitetail in Texas or mule deer and elk in the Rocky mountains, I've got a do it all rifle system. I've taken a Browning Hells Canyon Speed in 6.5 Creedmoor and topped it with Vortex's precision-matched rings and a Viper PST2 5-25x50 first focal plane scope. If you're looking for increased accuracy, an unmatched warranty, or just to start building your own all-season rifle, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com. And head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. Dang. Yeah, that would be difficult. Um, I, I'm i fortunate in the Midwest. I mean, I've seen leftover, or er, extra doe tags go as low as $3 a piece. And I mean, you can, <laughs> there's some people who they'll go out and shoot seven or eight deer a year. And um so the whole draw process I draw or I apply for points and I play that whole game every year in certain states but Nevada is not somewhere that I have but maybe it this isn't like a a whole scheme to get people to not put in there right you guys are being genuine it's hard to draw <laughs> It's definitely hard to draw and especially
3: in the last few years like there's been way more applicants um, not even just like non-residents, but residents as well. And the one thing I will say about Nevada is, you know, you have to wait your your time for sure. But when you do go, I have found that you know it's there are animals available, and you know you got to put in the work. But it's not, you know, you don't wait ten years to go out there and not see anything. Like it's, I think it's managed well. You know, it's a it's a very dry state, and there's not as, as much habitat as there are in some other states. So um, there's definitely you know, a reason why there's, it's so hard to get a tag. Um, But I don't think it's, uh, you know, I I think it's managed well. And so, you know, that's why we got into birds just because we love hunting. And, you know, if we're going to strike out, um, we might as well go do something. And and we've branched out, we've uh, gone to Montana to do like the uh, non-residents, not over the counter. You sort of have to like draw the general tag, but, you know, it's pretty much, a guarantee or a very good chance anyway uh, so we've done that we've gone uh you know like turkey hunting in oregon the last couple of years uh, believe it or not yet the turkey is a lottery draw in nevada as well so um it's definitely something you have to be mindful of and, and plan accordingly
1: yeah that um the the whole draw process i mean there's all sorts of mixed opinions about it but it's good to hear that once you do draw there's a lot of opportunity or a lot of encounters with the animals because that's something that's difficult as a non-resident going to going to a state paying non-resident prices for big game tags and when it's over the counter you know those units typically have a ton of pressure and you might not see any animals i know this last season me and some buddies went out to colorado and we, we saw a bunch of elk two days before season opened. And then we went four days without seeing an elk on the hoof. And I mean, that's, that's devastating as a non-resident. And there were four of us that came from out of state and we never filled a tag. And, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of phone calls to the wife explaining. It's going to be a couple more days before we come (laughs) home, uh, all, all to go out there and, you know, strike out it. Is the success rate higher in Nevada? Do you know, or do you know what the success rate sits at for, say, like an elk tag? Yeah, I think. For, oh, go ahead. Oh,
2: I was. Say, I think. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Right, I think when kindred and my wife got that elk tag. I think success rate was something like forty to fifty percent. I think in that area. So.
1: Jeez. Yeah, that's insane. That's. I mean, that's really good. Like I hear, in Colorado. It's around ten percent statewide for for elk, and when it comes to archery, I think it's like three percent. And so, yeah, I, I'm like, okay. So, as somebody coming from out of state, that means you know, one every thirty three years, I might shoot a bull. That'd be right. <laughs> that'd be fun.
3: Yeah, when when we went to Montana for the general tag, like that's what we had had researched. Like ten percent is about the the success rate there, and so you go because you know, you can't get a tag in Nevada. So you take your chances, but yeah, the, like Jordan said, 40%, that's, that's what I've known. I think they try to manage like the state deer success rate about the same somewhere between 35 and 40%. So, um, you know, when you're getting these tags, uh, you know, you definitely got a good chance at harvesting. And if you're holding out for a trophy, obviously those odds are, are a little lower and some, some units are better than others. But if you're just trying to go out and and see some deer and, and get some meat, like you, you really can't complain about what you're going to see once you do get a
1: tag. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's awesome that you guys looking uh, behind you read the, the skulls and the mounts that you have on the wall. There are pretty impressive. Uh, and Jordan congrats on drawing a desert bighorn tag. Like how did that go? Is kidding? that what I'm seeing back behind him?
2: Uh, that's read drew that. Uh, God, how many years ago is that read three? Uh
3: 2017 I I drew a desert bighorn tag so Jordan and I have actually both had that tag
1: dang that's and that's a pretty close window because I mean that's one of those tags that you could be putting in your whole life for the fact that you both drew it within a few years is pretty awesome
3: yeah and And like Jordan said we we waited a long time like to our dad's credit like as soon as we were old enough to start putting in he was putting our name in the drawing so that you know we weren't uh, too old to go by the time we did draw them so it was I think I had 17
1: years in the draw and jordan had 21 or 22 22 i think yeah. Jeez. okay so i'll be putting in for my kids uh starting right now yeah. <laughs> i really i really do need to i don't know what the age cutoff is for that but i need to start putting putting their name in for a lot of stuff and my wife she's like hey uh, we we saw a bighorn at the badlands earlier today and she's like, hey, are you still putting in for all those really good species in Colorado? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. She's like, are you putting in for me also? I was like, ooh, shoot, busted. <laughs> she, she has not, she's done one big game hunt so far. It's whitetail in Missouri. She drew several tags in Colorado a few years back, but we had moved back to Missouri. We were too poor to go back out there for you know a month and a half or whatever. And so she has yet to experience Western hunting um, but I'm excited to get her involved in it.
3: Yeah. Our wives, uh, sort of picked up hunting after meeting us and, um, my wife's more into the fishing part of it than the big game hunting, but did take her on deer hunt. And, uh, she shot a, a Nevada record book deer made the the book. It scored like 170. Um, and she kind of just was like, well, that, that's enough for me, you know? And I'm just <laughs> like, you know i never shot a deer that big and and jordan i'm sure he can elaborate too but you know his wife we took her out and she got a bigger deer than either jordan and i have ever gotten too so (laughs) they have good guides, but (laughs) right
1: oh my gosh yeah that always seems to be how it goes so sorry jordan i think i i changed topics there how did how did your desert bighorn hunt go
2: uh it was great. We were we were out there over Thanksgiving. Um I actually got the sheep on Thanksgiving, which was really cool because um my dad was out there and, and Reed, of course, was out there and my wife. And so it was like sort of a very non-traditional Thanksgiving, but we had um the, the tender of the sheep that night. I cooked it up. And so that was like probably the most memorable Thanksgiving. But um, we were out there for I think five days before I got it and the sheep hunt is like the pinnacle for me of big game hunting because I think for one, it's rare. So that's just exciting, but I just think they're the coolest animals and um, you know, the difficulty it's so steep. Um, It's unforgiving. There's no shade. And so it's just, it's, it was really a feeling of accomplishment to get that sheep for sure.
1: Man, that is, that's so cool. How, how do sheep taste? I have yet to try bighorn. I've tried mountain goat, didn't care for it but what about, what about sheep?
2: I think it's surprisingly good for like, you see what they eat um, in Nevada and it's just like these, you know, spiky pokey bushes. just like, how could that ever translate into something that tastes good? But um, yeah,
1: just cook it low and slow. And uh, it's as good as any steak I've had. That's awesome. Uh, I hope to try that at some point. Um, what other are you guys still putting in for any other trophy big game species like moose, mountain goat?
3: Yeah, so mountain goat for sure. Both of us that that's something that we have you know a lot of bonus points on. Um, there's been a few moose sightings in Nevada, but there's no tag for those yet. Okay, um, Jordan also got a, a California bighorn tag a few years ago, which is a, a subspecies of the Rocky Mountain. And uh, Jordan got that, but I'm still putting in for that one. I think I've got almost 25 bonus points on that. So still looking for those. So, yeah, there's still a few things in Nevada we have left to do, but, um, um, you know, it's, like I said, I think it's managed well. Once you get it, you know, you can't even put in the draw for 10 years and it took 20 years to get. So if you get two in your lifetime, that's incredible. (laughs)
1: You you better be a really fit 70-year-old. Uh, in order to, to make exactly. it happen a second time. <laughs> um, it, as far as small game or sorry, as far as upland hunting goes, I know you had mentioned you guys have done Turkey in Oregon. Do you guys travel with your dogs at all and chuck your hunt anywhere else? No, we yeah. haven't. Oh, go ahead, Jordan.
2: Oh, I see. we, we haven't, although we've uh, been talking about going up to Oregon this year, uh count some chucker because uh, we we were up turkey hunting earlier this year and you have to buy a year's license so we already have the hunting license so we thought this might be a good year to uh take the new
1: dog up and, and see what we can find up there. Yeah that'd be it'd be cool to especially finding them in mountainous rocky country like that would put you in some of the most beautiful terrain in each state it seems like
3: yeah there's some some bucket list areas we want to go I mean there's definitely You know, lots of places in Nevada that are, you know, just breathtaking views and the Black Rock Desert, you know, which is semi-close to Reno has lots of birds and and is sort of known in this area for those views. But um, like up in Hell's Canyon in Idaho, um, that's like, you know, the chucker hunting Mecca of the West, I would say. Um, So we definitely want to do a trip up there. And even like Southern Oregon, like Jordan's talking about, like, you know, a little bit different terrain, um, then we're used to in Nevada, probably a little bit less mountainous, which is probably <laughs> good for my legs, but, um, it's just definitely has some different views and, and just some, some different country to hunt. So definitely looking forward
1: to branching out. Yeah, that it, it's always fun to travel and hunt. I mean, I, I tell people that, and we talk about it a lot on the podcast. There's something about like just going somewhere mm-hmm. instead of doing it right next to home. Although it's fun, close to home, you get to figure it out a lot more. Um, The more time you spend in one area, but like the adventure of going to a new place and hunting something is, I don't think you can beat it. I I absolutely love that aspect of it.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, uh, like I had mentioned with like the field trials, it's sort of the same thing where it's, it's about sort of getting lost out there, you know, that's, and you feel more lost if maybe you're, you're not in your home state or you're at least um, far enough away from home to where, yeah, it feels more like you're answering the call to adventure, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, You guys started documenting, uh, obviously you haven't been filming and putting stuff on YouTube your entire hunting careers, but what caused you to wanna start a YouTube channel and start sharing that stuff?
3: Um, So Jordan and I actually had a a business that we ran before we started the channel where we uh, sold beard oil and beard products. Um, and part of that was, we would, you know, we kind of marketed that product to outdoorsmen because that's what we were. Um, and the scents were sort of, you know, based on that, but in part of the marketing, what we did was we, you know, film ourselves out hunting or out fishing or whatever, and and use that sort of as marketing material. And what we found over time was that that was the funnest part of running that business. It wasn't the (laughs) selling of the product or anything like that. It was, you know, we get to go make a little video for this on the hunt that we were going to do anyway. So um, it just sort of morphed into that and, um, you know, a way to sort of, uh, do what we love and, and share it with other people. And so far it's been really rewarding and really fun. And, um, it kind of took what we enjoyed about the outdoors and, and makes it even better because we get to, to share it with people who, um, you know, do it themselves or are learning to do this. And, you know, we get people asking us questions all the time on like social media, you know, how do I get into bird hunting or, you know. What are your advice for training on dogs? And it's, you know, it's kind of odd that someone would be interested in what you have to say about that, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's really cool.
1: I, I agree with that a hundred percent. When people ask my opinion on things as if I'm some type of expert, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm an everyday <laughs> dude. I just like to talk about it. And, you know, now I've got a platform for some reason, people like to listen to me um just rant and complain about turkey hunting or get excited about (laughs) deer hunting or whatever you know um and so it's definitely interesting once you have that even if it's just a couple people when they're like oh my gosh I follow you like I can't believe I'm actually talking to you like thank you for responding to me it feels pretty weird
3: yeah there's a a, fame is too strong of a word at least for us (laughs) but um you know, that aspect of it. And it's, it's given us a chance to showcase, you know, kind of Jordan and I's relationship as brothers, which people seem to identify with, like Jordan and I are very competitive. Um, You know, our, when we go bird hunting every year, there's a a trophy at the end of the year for whoever gets the most birds. Um, And there's a rule book associated with that for like, you know, because when we were younger and we didn't have the home responsibilities that we have now, you know, we would be taking time off work or we'd be, you know, calling in sick to go hunting or whatever it was. (laughs) And it was got a little out of hand. So now there's like a, you know, rules on, you got to like, let the other person know, and you can't, you know, use your vacation days to, to further yourself in the what we call the chucker derby. And there's all these rule books or rules to make sure that we don't tie each other. If there's like a discrepancy between who shot the bird. And so people have really like taken to that because they have similar things with their family members and, Um, you know, just being able to like show that, you know, hunting is kind of a family thing and that's how we treat it is, is a fun thing
1: to show people. So first of all, I absolutely love that. I love competing with hunting. I don't know what, what it is about it. It's just like, yeah, you can one up your buddies or your family members. Like we do the same thing. We do like big buck pools every year when I go to Wisconsin. And so everybody puts in a little bit of money and then whoever gets the biggest buck gets all the money. And I mean, we just give each other crap no matter who shoots what, like your deer is always better than theirs for some reason or another. Right. Um, Right. With you guys, who, who's ahead in the chucker derby? Do you guys, do you guys keep track each year? Like, do you know who has the most years now that they've won it between the two of you?
2: we do i mean every year that the trophy gets engraved and it gets to stay at the person's house um so you can go through and um reed definitely has more but um you know slowly, slowly closing the gap nice um but uh, yeah, yeah we used to have a, a really um our first trophy was this really old school wooden thing that kind of fell apart and then eventually um, it was our wives actually that, that went in and got us like a real trophy. So that, that's been pretty fun to pass back and forth. And um, you know, it's always nice when the other one comes over to your house, you can direct their attention over to the trophy so that they know <laughs> that it is in fact in your house and not at
1: theirs. You just like attach it to the chip bowl. So every time they have to reach for chips, they have to almost touch the trophy. Yeah, exactly. I could see that being a lot of fun. Uh, do you guys, do Do you guys compete uh, with other types of hunting or is that the big one? Or is that the only one?
2: That's
3: definitely the the big one. Yeah, it's definitely the big one. And like, we've had the Chucker Derby. I think the first year we did it was 2003. Oh Um, man. So it's been going for a while. That's when we were like, you know, Jordan and I were still in high school at that point. So it's definitely been going on for a long time. And, you know, we definitely have competition in the rest of everything. I mean, if, you know, Jordan never, you know, lets me forget that, uh, you know, his uh, California bighorn sheep, you know made the Nevada record book and scored more than than my desert sheep and um you know I the the girls you know are really into the competition too and never let us live down that they have the biggest deer so while there's not a trophy associated with the other things there's definitely a lot of uh smack talk uh from everybody and it it's all in good fun of course as I'm sure everybody that hunts knows and and that's something we try to bring to our channel too is like You know, we take hunting super seriously. We take fishing very serious and, but we don't take ourselves serious at all. Uh, So we try to just showcase like, you know, us being goofy out in the hills because that's just what we do.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a great balance to have. You take the sport itself serious, but you don't take yourselves too seriously. And some people seem to get that, not get it backwards. They just take themselves and the sport too seriously. And you know, that's when, that's when people can get negative on online, on social media, you know, they've got the only way, the only right way to do something, which I always find very fascinating that they're the only one who truly knows how to hunt things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun when you can joke around, screw around and the fact that, you know, you guys can go and enjoy these things together and make competition out of It's pretty sweet. Um, you had mentioned a couple bucket list style hunts. Do you guys have a like definite, like this is number one on the bucket list hunt? Uh, if so, where, what, what species, and what weapon? You can
3: go uh, so, first, it, if you want, Jordan.
2: Yeah. So for me, um, right now, it's, and it may not sound glorious, but uh, I just want to get a mule deer in Nevada with a bow. Um, I've, I've had a few tags and it's tough that there's nothing to hide behind. Um, you know, it's, it's during the hottest part of the year, it's in August. So you you got temperatures, um, you know, in the nineties, it's a really hard hunt and I've gotten close, but I haven't sealed the deal. And so right now that's, that's like the most important thing to me, because I think I want to really transition most of my big game hunting to bow hunting but I got to prove to myself first that uh, I get this mule deer and then, and maybe we can go start moving into other stuff. So that's, that's bucket list. I I gotta, I gotta get a deer with a bow
1: um, before I get too old to do it. So with it being very difficult because of the terrain, you know, not a lot of cover it's in the heat of the summer. What, what's the strategy for chasing after a mule deer? Is it sitting near watering holes or transition points to watering holes
2: so when I first started bow hunting, I didn't know hardly anything about it. And so I would, that was kind of what I, my strategy initially. And it just doesn't really, never really seemed to work out for me. The, the deer have their different places they go. And I was never really in the right place at the right time. And, um, so the spot and stock has, has worked, um, has gotten me a lot closer to deer, um, than anything else. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you can use the the cliff faces to hide, Um, and crawling on your stomach that's kind of the thing you know the sagebrush is everywhere so there is cover you just got to be have your face in the dirt and you can you can get down there
1: yeah what about for you reed what's uh number one bucket list
3: well i definitely want to be there when jordan gets a deer with the bow because i've tagged along on enough 90 degree hunts that i need to be there for the payoff (laughs) um but for me like I don't know. Jordan and I've talked about it and it's going to happen here in the next few years, but I'd really love to go to like Alaska or or Canada and do like a, um, a caribou hunt or moose caribou combo and, you know, do the, the unguided drop you off, you know, let you hunt and come back and, and get you. And so a lot of work before we get to that point, but that's sort of like the dream. Like, that's like the ultimate, you know, you're on your own, you're out in the wilderness, you know, getting lost. Like we talked about earlier, like, that's the, the pinnacle of, uh, you know, the, kind of the back country hunting. Um, so I definitely love to, to do something like that.
1: Yeah, I, that resonates a lot with me and not that, Jordan, your hunt doesn't sound amazing, but 90 degrees and hunting just don't go well together. In I agree. My it's not amazing. It's just something <laughs> I have to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Alaska, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing place. I've been twice. I, I got to do a deer hunt on Kodiak one year, and then I tagged oh, nice. along for a deer hunt another year. And we didn't put a ton of emphasis into the deer hunt the second trip I went on, but Getting dropped off in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking like pick the point that is the farthest from another human being, fly me in, drop me off, and let me like float back out or hike back, you know, 20 miles and pick me up 20 miles farther south 10 days from now. You know, like that's my, that's for sure 100% my dream hunt. And people don't understand like Alaska you can do these hunts pretty cheap up there. Yeah. Honestly, like looking at the price for an Alaskan moose tag versus a Colorado moose tag, by the time I get all my points and, you know, $100 a year for preference points. And if I don't draw it for 20 years, and then on top of that, a $2,400 tag, if it doesn't go up by that point, um, you know, right. you can almost do a, an Alaskan moose hunt just for that, not even counting the cost of gas and everything um to drive out and lodging and you know however you play it but alaska look i don't know if you guys have looked up prices for for alaska hunts but they are very very reasonable
3: yeah I, i've sort of seen that we've done you know a little bit of preliminary research and it's you know yeah the, the cost is not the prohibitive part as much as just like the prep and the, the time that you need to take to do it and make sure you do it right and you got the right gear and all that stuff and you know, going from a climate like we have in Nevada to Alaska definitely is a switch in gear. But like I said, it's definitely going to happen in the next couple of years here because, um, you know, it's just too too good of an opportunity to pass up.
1: Well, and if you guys didn't know about it, I know because you guys hunt together all the time, there is the Alaska Air Credit Card. If you spend $1,000, you get basically a buy one, get one free ticket round trip. So may, that may be something to look into. As, uh, okay. as you get closer to actually planning out your hunt yeah yeah that's that's a good tip what uh what's on the agenda this year what what did you guys draw or did you draw anything um, there in Nevada and I know you mentioned chucker hunting is coming up this weekend um, but what else do you guys have planned in the outdoor space
3: yeah. So this weekend we actually have sage grouse, which, uh, is only open for a, a couple weekends. Uh, and then chucker opens in uh, uh, the middle of October. So the 15th, oh, okay. I think is the first day. Um, but so right around the corner, um, I did draw a mule deer tag this year. Um, so that's coming right up. In fact, uh, October 5th is the first day of that season. So we're going to be headed out there on that. And then, uh, Jordan's wife also drew a tag. She got pulled as an alternate. So, um, what area did she get, Jordan? You can maybe elaborate. It was the same area you had for archery last year. Yeah,
2: it's 181 through 184, which is um, yeah. Well, I don't know if anyone knows where Fallon, Nevada is, but there's the a naval air station out there, and it's it's sort of near there, but um, yeah, it's probably three hours from Reno.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that I mean, that's going to be awesome, like getting out there and, and chasing uh, grouse and then Chucker and mule deer like those are all things that i don't ever get to chase after here in missouri or on most of my travels in fact so uh mule deer is something that jordan i can understand why you want to make it happen we struck out on our utah hunt and i want to go back so bad like it holy cow chasing mule deer with a bow is addicting probably one of the most addicting things i've done i haven't done archery elk yet And I know that that can be pretty intense also, but transitioning into archery just seems, I don't know why. Do you you have an explanation for why you want to transition into archery? Um, Because I I see it a lot with people. They start with rifle and they, it seems like making everything harder on yourself is the progression in our sport.
2: Yeah. In fact, I've made it so hard on myself that I'm having a difficult time harvesting, Um, but (laughs) absolutely i mean it's like like we talk about with chucker hunting the biggest appeal for me there is how hard it is like i like it to be hard i find that really rewarding and so i feel like yeah the natural progression is now bow hunting is is that much harder and um you have to be that much better at at sneaking up so um yeah i'm just trying to get my skill to catch up to the difficulty now
1: yeah it's it's I don't, I don't know why it just seems so much more intense when you have a bow and, you know, obviously you have a closer range that you have to get to when you're archery hunting than when you're rifle hunting. But, um, I love it. I love it all. I just love all sorts of hunting. Nevada is going to be on my, or it is on my list. Hopefully it's something, a place that I can go and hunt soon because the West I'm telling you, There's just so many cool opportunities and chucker in the mountains of Nevada. That sounds like a pretty good one.
3: Well, yeah, if you want to get some chucker hunting in and you're out anywhere near us in in Reno, we'll definitely take you out. We love to take people that have never been out and kind of show them what it is. It's always something that people are, you know, pretty amazed at that, you know, where these birds live and, and what it takes to get them. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that, that you should see at some point.
1: Hey, as long as we can get chucker tacos and popcorn chucker afterwards, I'm all about it. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Um, Well, I appreciate you guys hopping on and chatting. I know you guys seem like the types of guys who could chat for hours and hours about this stuff, but I want to respect your time. But I also want to give you guys an opportunity to share where people can find you, where they can follow along, check out your YouTube, that stuff.
2: Cool. So the easiest way to uh, get to our YouTube channel is if you go to reelsandridges.com. Um, it'll just forge you right over to the YouTube channel. Um, and then you can just like search Reels and Ridges on Instagram, uh, TikTok, Facebook.
1: Nice.
3: We're in well, uh, season three of the, the YouTube channel right now. So um usually the seasons start uh at the end of chucker season. So um chucker season is kind of the finale of every uh season on the YouTube channel. So we're into season three right now, just ready to kick off bird season. And uh if you guys have some free time, go on YouTube and check it out. We uh if you you know like hunting and fishing or just like watching people make an idiot out of themselves while they do that, our channel is for you.
1: It sounds very entertaining. I, I want to watch it just for the competition side of it. I love that you guys have an actual trophy. And I'm about to see a lot of my buddies, my hunting buddies, for the first time in like two months. And I think I might present that to them. I just have to figure out what exactly we're going to compete for and who gets the trophy at the end of the year. So um, I love the idea. I will definitely be following along. And hopefully I can come out there and do some chucker hunting with you guys at some point.
2: We'd love it. Yeah.
1: And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. It was awesome talking to Reed and Jordan, and I am fired up on a different level to get out, run some dogs, get after some upland uh, game birds, and being up in the mountains like that. I mean, I know we hit on it pretty hard during the episode, but being up in the mountains chasing birds, I mean, that adds a whole new element to it. The scenes that you see, the places that you go, the physicality that it uh, requires in order to chase chucker in the high country. It all sounds like quite the adventure, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm heading out west here in two weeks and heading out to elk hunt with my buddies, the main elk camp, the place that I started elk hunting, and I cannot wait. I'm super pumped. I'm like, it it just can't get here soon enough, but I just found out I'll also be doing a waterfowl hunt while I'm out there. So on the way out there, I was planning on stopping in the front range of Colorado, like my old stomping grounds, if you will, and I got an invite for that same area to go and to go and shoot some birds, so I'm pretty pumped about that as well. So, I'll keep you guys updated on that, as well as fill you in on a few other hunts that have happened since, well, since we've been traveling. So, lots of cool stories coming up. Unfortunately, they all required their own episodes, so I can't share too much in the outros, but stay tuned for that. Until next time, get out there and chase new adventure.